speaking of the role of psychology in exchange life counseling or an alternate title, uh, us academics always have to have several titles and subtitles for things. Ways of counseling with Christians or ways Christians are counseled, uh, a comparative overview. I want to share with you uh, what's happening around us. We're focusing on a particular way of counseling but um, the majority of people, as we well know, Christians are not counseling this way. And so to know uh, what's out there and uh, what other people may have been through if they come to you after having been to therapists, which is often the case, uh, to have some understanding of that. I'm kind of a, a living illustration because I've, I've been in the midst of this, uh, what I call the contemporary Christian counseling movement, since its inception. I was an undergrad in psych at Wheaton uh, in the mid-60s and then uh, went into grad school in the late 60s and that was uh, about the time, well, it was the time when the first Christian professional counseling training programs were beginning. Fuller Seminary's program started in, in uh, 1965. There's a... Uh, I'm going to share something about my journey because it will be a reflection. My journey, this is not my testimony, but hopefully it will be a testimony uh, to uh, how God works. Uh, and uh, some things I would say about my journey is that uh, it's made up of thin threads by which God has woven things together. That's how I picture it. Individual people and experience here and there and so forth and a just-in-time God. It seems like my pattern, at least, has been at the last minute, in the fullness of time, maybe that's what it is. There's an obscure passage uh, parallel to Romans 8.28 in Hezekiah 12.5. Don't look it up right now, but it reads, uh, God uses the whole buffalo. You may not be familiar with that passage, but uh, that is what my experience has been. He uses the whole thing everything that happens to us. So how did I get here? You may be thinking, and I I trust this happens sort of naturally, we apply what's occurring around us to ourselves, and I invite you to do that. But uh, by what thin thread or by what sequence of events has God brought you to the point you're at now and and literally to this, this room and studying this approach? In a compressed way, as I look back, I can see that He used... The fact I had two sisters, both born with congenital cataracts, uh, legally blind, to sensitize me to uh, people's needs. I didn't, of course, understand that at the time. That was the most significant event in our life uh, when one of my sisters died uh, before age four. And uh, God used that to transform our lives and uh, to uh, shape our careers. I have a brother who was born right between the two sisters with you know, legally blind sisters, uh, he's not promiscuous. It wasn't by chance. Uh, Those are powerful influences on our lives, and God uses them to shape us. He gave me a mother who is very sensitive to people and has insight into people, and uh, she and I, our temperaments are very similar, so we had a lot of conversations. She was, I didn't know it at the time, but that was part of my mentoring in terms of uh, understanding people, and she's a woman of faith, uh, so it it was not just from a human standpoint that she taught about people. 
the first, first thing I recognized, and again, I guess I didn't know this at the time, was in high school, uh, one of the three Christians in the high school that I was aware of shared with me a book by Viktor Frankl that many of have you seen A Man's Search for Meaning? And uh, it was the first psychological book I'd ever read. Psychiatrist, Jewish psychiatrist, who was in the concentration camps and came up with a point of view, existential uh, point of view that uh, the, the, uh, the search of our lives is to find meaning, to create meaning. And he talked about uh, folks that he saw in the concentration camps who even as they marched to the ovens and had no control over their physical experience. They held their heads high and, and uh, he said that they had created meaning. People who would gather little bits of torn paper and collect them or make their, you know, their cockroach-infested mattress uh, meat at least. They had some control and made some meaning out of things. wasn't uh, Christian, but it uh, triggered in me as we discussed it together, this Christian friend and, and a Christian teacher I had and I, uh, about how this uh, relates to faith. Faith, uh, however else we want to describe it, is also a way that we seek meaning in life, the ultimate meaning. I had one, uh, one Christian teacher out of all the teachers I'd had through elementary and, and high school, as far as I know, who was a Christian, uh, uh, my Latin teacher, still alive and approaching 100 years old. Uh, I thank God for her. Uh, late in my senior year, she said, well, where are you headed after high school? And I said, uh, I don't know, probably Iowa, Iowa State. That's where we lived. And I hadn't thought much about it. And she said, have you ever heard of Wheaton College? And I hadn't. And uh, I mean, we were way back in the sticks. And uh, I didn't even know there was such a thing as Christian colleges. Uh, so I was, uh, that sounded like heaven on earth to me. And she knew the president, which was D. Raymond Edmund, whose name has been mentioned. And, and so uh, I had a little inside help there and, and uh, got accepted. Uh, but remember now, this was in the middle, middle 60s, and uh, it was a, a, a challenging time uh, to be a student, confusing time, even on Christian campuses. I didn't know what my major would be either, uh, but we had to take either sociology or psychology, and I didn't know anything about either one, literally. Uh, I was pretty ignorant. Psychology wasn't such a big thing at that time. So I almost flipped a coin. I think God controlled which came up, heads or tails. But said, psychology sounds interesting. Maybe uh, maybe that's related to uh, what Mom and I have been talking about over the years. So I took that, and uh, the professor was a, uh, a good model. And I think it's in the first class. He gave an example of a counseling experience he had had working with a young child and his mother, and, and just captured me. I thought, I want, to, I want to understand and help people the way he's talking about so he used him. He used that major. It became the most popular major on Christian campuses for several years. I don't know where it stands now. I think business may have passed it up or something. But back there in the 60s and 70s, we were all kind of studying our navels. It was a pretty uh, ingrown uh, era. I don't know that we've left it yet. Uh, but uh, we were really interested in ourselves and, and uh, narcissistic generation uh, that now has become part of a culture of narcissism. Keith Miller, uh, Paul Turnier were, were the hottest things going at that time. Keith Miller played a key role in getting the small groups movement going, probably we should say going again in the church. Uh, but he really, he really had a psychological bent to it, and I think the church has never recovered from that psychologizing influence. Uh, uh, but that was the 60s. We thought uh, the old-timers, our parents, 
were uh, uh, hypocrites. Uh, when they were angry, they didn't show it. Uh, when they were happy and loving, they couldn't show it. And, and uh, uh, we were going to be a liberated generation. I remember one of my colleagues, uh, uh, a psych major, who uh, he'd, he'd come across a book by Betty Friedan, uh, The Feminine Mystique. He said, this is, this is interesting. You might want to read it. I never did, thankfully. But uh, <laughs> it was the beginning, beginning of one more of those movements. So it was a tumultuous time, as, as we all know. Uh, some of you may have just been twinkles in your parents' eye at that time. But um, it was uh, interesting times. Paul Tournier, who, who Gary Collins writes about and says he is a uh, universalist. Uh, I didn't realize that as I was reading him. But uh, uh, he... Uh, he was the first example I saw of a counselor weaving in faith and scripture. So it was, the seed was starting to be planted, but when we went into our classroom, it was pure psychology. There was, we had opening devotions, and then it was, let's get on with psychology and, uh, uh, to the psych majors. And in, the, in my four years there, uh, we never did hear the word integration. That hadn't been invented yet, at least integration as it relates to psychology and faith. They wouldn't let the psychology professors speak in chapel. Now, that wasn't written on the wall or cross-stitched somewhere, but uh, they, they were never sure what was going to come out of their mouths. So uh, the uh, psychology was literally off on the edge of campus, and, uh, and we were the rebels in a Christian way, of course. Uh, <laughs> um, so there wasn't much help there. I came out of that with more questions than answers, but I thought this was the field, either, either pulpit ministry or psychology, but... Uh, I, I couldn't see how I could pull this off. I, I thought if I go to State University, University of Illinois had a brand new program, a PsyD, a Doctor of Psychology program, one of the first in the country. I thought, well, uh, I'm in Illinois. Maybe I should see if this is where the Lord wants me to stay. But uh, my heart wasn't in it. I didn't think I'd survive on a state university campus. Here, here comes that last-minute God. You know, never, uh, never, or may not be early, but He's never late. And uh, last semester of my senior year in Wheaton, a professor that I'd only had for one course came up to me like my Latin teacher had in high school, said, well, where, where are you headed next? And it was kind of a difficult choice. Uh, you know, uh, grad school, Vietnam, grad school, Vietnam. <laughs> uh, wasn't a choice for a lot of us. But, uh, uh, but I, I couldn't see myself going into it unless there was some way to talk about faith. And he said, well... Uh, Fuller Seminary. He had gotten his Bachelor of Divinity degree there and said they've just started a new psychology program, PhD program, that's going to integrate faith and the science of psychology. So that was, I just presumed that was a godsend. It was, uh, I had a hard time finding a catalog. They were so new. The one I finally got a hold of was three years old. And, but, uh, and they were in need of warm bodies, so I got in. Uh, but uh, went off there with high hopes. Now, let's keep in mind what the state of psychology was in the 1960s. There were basically, as I would put it together, three groups. There were pastors doing counseling, as they had for millennia, pastors and priests. There were pastoral counselors, a liberal movement that had gotten going uh, that was more psychology than, than theology. And then there were the secular counselors. And as of just a momentary aside, I want to talk to some of those retired pastors who were counseling without having been trained, and they would admit that and say, I never had a single course, or I had one course in seminary on counseling. 
I think they have some stories to tell if we can reach them before they die uh, that they weren't contaminated by the psychology movement the Christian psychology movement and I'm just willing to bet I could be proven wrong that some of them saw God work in powerful ways because they had to admit I don't know what's going on Lord Uh, you know the prayers would be there from the time folks called in through the session at least for those who who were had that sort of relationship to the Lord Uh, and uh and that's where God wants us all, even those of us with degrees and experiences. So I'd be interested to know if uh, some of them, without realizing what they were doing, saw God show up and would have some stories of transformation to share. We always hear about the bad examples. The pastor who has his, his Bible gripped in his hand, pointing his bony finger, you're sinning and, and you just need to stop sinning. Uh, the, that's not the whole picture. It doesn't do justice to, to them. But like I say, that's an aside. So, off to Fuller, very hopeful. Wow, this is, this is uh, where it's going to happen now. Uh, God's going to work through us, and, and uh, we're going to see uh, powerful things happen. My first year, I wrote a paper for Neil Warren, who's now on the circuit uh, talking about marriage and, and things, on integration. He wanted to know from the outset, before we'd studied anything, what we expected this whole integrative Christian counseling movement to be like, or, or experience to be like. And I wrote about, I said, well, not having seen a person yet, uh, what I envision is that people will come in, kind of use the model of the uh, Good Samaritan. You, uh, you pick them up, bandage them, uh, give them a cup of cold water. And then uh, when they're in working condition again and they can focus, uh, the Holy Spirit, there would be this moment, this pregnant moment where the Holy Spirit would... Uh, lead them to say something to the effect of, uh, well, is that all there is? Is there anything more? And that would be my opening. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Or they might say, and this is kind of embarrassing why this didn't happen, they might say, you know, I think you've got something I don't have. What is it? You know, that that classic kind of image of, you know, if if, if the Lord is shining through us, that, uh, well, it's, it's the idea of be salty enough that people get thirsty, I suppose. Uh, but neither of those things happened over 20 plus years in my counseling. And I haven't talked to, uh, this is not bragging, it just comes from living over half a century. I, I know several hundred, you know, Christian therapists trained in the kinds of programs I was. I haven't heard a single one, not one, no exception, talk about seeing lives transformed, uh, knowing that God did it. Our emphasis was on you need to be competent. You need to practice the techniques, know the theories, and be the best professional you can and a Christian uh, as you do it. So uh, that was my vision, but it didn't happen uh, that uh, we would seek powerful things from God. We spent our time mostly trying to prove that we were uh, as good as the big boys, as I call them, the people who were already counseling, uh, the, the secular folks mostly, in a sense, we were looking for acceptance. And uh, we had to show that we weren't going to be just Bible-toting preachers disguised as psychologists, proselytizing people and calling it counseling. And we bent over backwards. We did such a good job that we sort of forgot why we came into a Christian program to start with, I think. We took a wrong turn, or maybe I should say it this way, several wrong turns, uh, I believe, now as I look back. Didn't realize it at the time. 
Number one, we pursued theoretical integration, conceptual or cognitive integration. Uh, so wrestling with theology, the study of God, psychology, the study of man. And so we talked about... See, there are a couple options if you use the word integration. It's not a four-letter word, although Chuck sometimes might want to <laughs> wrestle on it. To be personally integrated, by that I mean your, your, your intimate relationship with the Lord, as we've been talking about now uh, for some time here, uh, that's a kind of integration where He is integrated into your life. He, he's, uh, you're intimately wed to Him. His life is yours, and so on. Uh, that would be an alternative. Or integration in terms of how do you weave faith into the sessions you're having? What does it look like? If you're a fly on the wall, what are those integration moments? How, how is a Christian counselor any different in what they say or do or the process that goes on? We didn't talk about that either. We thought that was kind of Mickey Mouse. So it's not you're not a Christian counselor because you do this instead of that. And so in that area too, we looked uh, tremendously like the world, and we got great acceptance. Uh, our people became officers in the associations and and all sorts of things. We got licensed and all. So that was a wrong turn, I think, when we chose to get in our ivory tower and talk about God, about faith. Uh, and about integration, integrating faith into counseling instead of developing the person and, and, and the practice. We borrowed our foundations. You know, we, we built this uh, impressive-looking structure which is still being worshipped by pastors in the church, uh, a structure called Christian Psychology, Christian Counseling, uh, on a cracked foundation because we borrowed it from uh, unbelievers, uh, humanists, atheists, uh, and uh, agnostics. I now see the, the uh, fragileness of that kind of a decision. We went in a, not quite accurate to call it an anti-biblical direction, but we were pushing away from J. Adams. We didn't want to be miniature J. Adamses. We just saw him confronting. He was the caricature of the bony finger pointing in people's faces, uh, confronting and telling them it's all about sin and and so we ran from that. We wanted to prove to ourselves, mainly, the world didn't care because they didn't know him, but uh, uh, that we were not just uh, J. Adams types. And he was uh, beginning to, uh, to grow in, in, uh, in uh, the church's familiarity at that time. So we pushed away from that, but in the process, as so often happens, we threw out the baby with the bathwater. We, we, I don't think we brought a Bible to class. Uh, you know, we were not going to be the type of person who thought there was a Bible verse answer to every problem. We created this caricature and then we shot it down. But that's not us. We're not simplistic. We're sophisticated. You know. Um, fourth, uh, Tony just touched on something about the uh, charismatics and things. Personally, just me speaking, I think we made an error in leaving the Pentecostals and charismatics out of this, this movement. Because in the process, we also left out the Holy Spirit. Not that that's the only way you can relate to the Holy Spirit, but we didn't have anybody in our classes, certainly nobody up front, nobody around us. This was a mainstream development, uh, Methodists, Presbyterians, Baptists, and so forth. And uh, so we didn't hear the voice of those saying, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Isn't he part of the process? I think that could have impacted. I'm not debating theology here, except that the sensitivity that people out of that that direction have to the Holy Spirit's role in our lives 
uh, wasn't a part of integrated Christian counseling. And so we didn't expect to hear that still small voice in the session. Uh, we weren't listening. We were too busy thinking uh, with our own mind, with our own flesh, as it turns out, as to what to do next. And that I would put as the fifth, uh, the next point is that uh, we did and we are, that is, those who are committed to that model, there are certain exceptions. I, I should have said something about humility to start with, otherwise it sounds like you know, speaking from this righteous position, um, that uh, there are exceptions, thankfully, but by and large, the movement is characterized by efforts to strengthen the flesh, put out fires, uh, put on band-aids, help people feel better, help them cope, and, and we would consider that uh, uh, success. And, uh, and after all, it's worse now because that's what managed care will pay for. They don't uh, pay you to, uh, to bring a person to wholeness, uh, to, to do spiritual depth work. Uh, they'll give you six, eight sessions or whatever it happens to be to get the person back on their feet so they can function again. And uh, so that has fed into what we already were biased towards anyway. What number is this? Number six. Uh, we embrace the struggle of Romans 7 as the ultimate of the Christian life. It, it kind of fed into this Keith Miller thing. You know, the, the things I want to do, I fail to do, and that which I don't want to do, I do. It's like, yeah, you tell them, Keith. You know, that's it. Uh, that, we're getting real now. You know, that's what we're about is uh, being honest. We're no longer hypocrites. Uh, and that's exciting that uh, he's affirming the way our lives are. <laughs> we keep doing what we're not supposed to do and not doing what we should. And in uh, this existential thing, you know, uh, truth or honesty, rather, uh, was, uh, was a high, high value. And uh, so we didn't aim very high, uh, uh, needless to say. Next, uh, number seven, under this uh, wrong turns that we took, uh, and this is still going on, and, and uh, it's, it's only made sense to me in the last three or four years since I've known Chuck. The mantra of the Christian counseling movement, and please, whenever I say this, think to yourself, except for those folks who, who God has uh, led in, in more uh, effective and, and uh, uh, biblically sound ways, the mantra is uh, Romans 12.2, uh, that uh, we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds. But what we mean by that, the, the, the movement as it exists in general, is get control of your thoughts, so, you know, I don't mean to make it simplistic here, but think happy thoughts, you know, instead of negative thoughts. And uh, the cognitive revolution, as it's referred to, uh, that if you get control of your thoughts and your, your behavior and your emotions will follow. Well, you know, we affirm that, but uh, it's not we ourselves who uh, control the thoughts. That transformation that's being talked about is so much greater uh, than anything humanly constructed. But the movement thinks it's really doing a biblical thing and they'll use that Romans 12.2 as a way of putting some kind of a stamp uh, of uh, baptizing what we do uh, in, in some biblical language and uh, say that's, you know, that's because we're Christians. Uh, <laughs> Albert Ellis is doing the same thing and he's, he's an outspoken atheist. Uh, so uh, that's not a very uh, helpful process, I think. doesn't go deep. Number eight, and I won't belabor this one, we emphasize feelings. Uh, we were part of that 60s uh, movement, and so to get with your feelings, to express your feelings, uh, uh, to be honest about your feelings was the highest good. And uh, 
and that ha- that impacted our society. It, it fed into things for for generations, uh, as, to the point that we now have to learn as people of faith that we need to bring those emotions under under control of the spirit instead of being led by the emotions of all things. It's bizarre. We, uh, I don't think generations before us felt that way, but we created it. And once you bring it into, it's infectious. It's, it's like a rotten apple in the barrel or something. Uh, we, the human spirit uh, grabs hold of that, the fallen spirit. Number nine, about as high as we aimed was for coping, recovering, and symptom relief. We thought that's what it was about. Some of these things overlap. And then, worst of all, number 10, and finally in that point, uh, we left God out of it. Uh, we never said that, but uh, this, was, this, was, this has been a human enterprise. Now, I have to rehearse this, or I feel some compulsion to. Christian counselors generally uh, pray before a session. They may pray privately during a session. Sometimes they pray in the session and after the session. Uh, they may quote scripture and so forth, but that can be done through human, uh, human strength and effort, and without that dependence on the Lord, without the acknowledgement that uh, He is the one that is at work in you and uh, between us. So um, I, I don't think He uh, He honors that, at least not in the way that He will when He gets the full glory. And I'm going to say more uh, on that uh, towards the end. So about 71 or 72, and, and uh, Chuck, you were around then, and some of the others of you too, the evangelical, conservative evangelical pastors got real comfortable all of a sudden referring out to Christian counselors. Before that, there was a paranoia. Uh, the psychologists didn't, didn't respect the church, and the church didn't respect psychology. Uh, but right around there, I would put it within a, a window of a year or two, 71 or 72, which is... Tremendous things happening in our culture there. And of course, 73 was a watershed year, or whatever the term would be, in terms of the uh, Roe v. Wade and, and uh, taking uh, homosexuality out of the diagnostic manual. Uh, so uh, what happened, this is the way it occurred. The, the graduates of our programs went out to pastors, again, the conservative evangelicals who didn't trust counselors before, and we said, hi, I'm Joe Schmo. Uh, uh, do you do counseling? Uh, yeah, uh, I do a lot of it, frankly. Uh, were you trained in it? No, you know, one course or no courses in seminary, but it, it takes up a lot of my time and it has to be done. So, well, you know, it's, it's, you know I'm a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, uh, evangelical, and maybe I could even say Baptist, if you were Baptist or Presbyterian, if you were Presbyterian or something. Uh, and I'm trained in this. Uh, that's what I devoted my life to, and it's it's a ministry for me. If you use the word ministry, whatever follows is fine with the Christian church. We're not too sharp about that. Um, and uh, what I'd like to do is, if if there are situations that you feel uh, are more difficult, or you're just your plate is full, uh, I would welcome your referrals, and I will respect the church uh, and their faith. I will support that and and support them staying involved, and and so on and so forth. What more could they ask? They'd be freed up, the pastors would be freed up to do what they went to seminary to do, what they felt called to do, to, to preach and visitation, whatever other things uh, filled their days. And then they'd have somebody they could trust that they could refer their people to and say, I've met with this person, I trust them. Uh, they are not going to steer you wrong or say your faith is the problem and so on. So it was a quick and happy marriage. 
uh, we filled our caseloads and they uh, freed up some of their time. That's one of the saddest things that's happened in the last 30 years. The, 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 the burden-bearing role of the church started to slip. The, the, the pastors and, for that matter, the people in the pews started to lose confidence in what the Lord was doing and had done for centuries through them, started to believe it's all about degrees and, and specialization and, uh, uh, and to the point that now we're sort of intimidated. We have a church that's afraid if I do counseling, you know, we could have a lawsuit, you know, if something goes wrong and so forth. So uh, we, we're, uh, we're in an extended process of trying to recover and, and for the church to regain its confidence in the Christ who lives in us uh, and, and in his power rather than in the, the degrees and licenses. Well, I left Fuller like I left Wheaton with more questions than answers. I thought I was going to get some answers there, but just kind of muddied the waters. After 20-something years of, uh, of counseling in which uh, most sessions, Scripture would be mentioned, significant percentage of sessions, there was prayer, uh, but uh, not seeing the power of God. And as I said, as I checked with my peers around the country, they also were not reporting it. We were being successful according to this this very minimal standard that we defined as success, getting people coping again, but uh, not seeing the power of God work through us. We didn't even expect it. We were content to be as good as the big boys, as I say. And we had won that much. That's about all we had won. But within the past five years, just since I was at Liberty University teaching, I guess I stepped out of the counseling role and, and could think a little bit about what I've been doing and the question came to my mind shouldn't there be a difference? If God is at work in us and if the God is who he says he is who we know him to be shouldn't there be a difference? A, a detect, not a as statisticians would say a .05 you know sort of a minuscule if you really look close under the microscope you'd say yeah this group uh, was helped more than this group but noticeable to the person on the street say this person's life is transformed. This one has not been transformed. They've been helped a bit. You know, they're coping better. They're no longer on medications, uh, whatever. But uh, so that question for the first time came to me, at least first time since grad school. I'd long ago forgotten that I ever was expecting God uh, to show up and be part of our process. And that Christian counseling done at its best uh, would be uh, something that would be done uh, in power and to the glory of God instead of the glory of the counselor. So, uh, disappointed uh, and unfulfilled at that, I left psychology. Uh, I had, prior to that, quit the American Psychological Association as they endorsed abortion and, and uh, homosexuality and American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. The field was just caving in and, and becoming secularized uh, as they endorsed those things. It had nothing to do with science, although that's what they would say. That Studies have shown that you know, uh, women are not hurt by abortion. I mean, that's about the level they could go to, and even that was a lie. And uh, the homosexuality is really not pathology. It, they were getting into values and morality, and that's not their field, but they didn't acknowledge it. And I, I just didn't want my money to go to that. But ultimately, I just left the field. I, I, I do not identify with psychology anymore. Uh, I don't know there was a wrong turn. God, as I say, using the whole buffalo and he's, he's uh, redeeming that, that experience. Uh, someone said even a bad experiment teaches you something. Uh, and so uh, the, uh, 
seeing firsthand the, the powerlessness or the very limited impact of psychology as practiced that way by Christians uh, was a great teacher for me. So whatever wisdom I had accumulated, uh, again, you can stumble down the road uh, for 50 plus years and you're going to learn something even if a lot of it comes out of uh, uh, failures. Uh, but I thought, well, maybe at least I have something to pass along to students, kind of like we do as parents where we say, I want to teach them something so they don't make the same mistakes I did. Um, so I wanted to draw from the, that experience and I went to Liberty to teach. I thought we were going to settle in there forever and kind of get old and fat and happy. Well, one out of three isn't bad, but uh, <laughs> two out of three. Um, but I uh, was teaching a class on Christian approaches to counseling, uh, which is my favorite class. If I could only teach one, that's what it would be. And after class, a, a, a woman came up to me and said, because I was starting to editorialize a bit, adding some of my own thoughts that hadn't come out of my training. And, and a student came up afterward and said, uh, boy, a lot of things you're talking about sound like something that I was trained in before I came here. She was trained out in Denver. Uh, I don't know if you were there at the time, Chuck, uh, Marsha Maloli. Okay. Uh, and we talked for an hour and a half right there in the hallway, and she just happened to have one of his books, uh, Counseling with the Mind of Christ, tucked under her arm, and said, you, I think you would enjoy this. And so that was how, that was the thread that God used, uh, uh, you know, as, as God uses children to teach parents. Uh, wrote a book for my son for his graduation from high school about 101 things you've taught me son uh, he used the students to teach teachers uh, and so uh, it was at that point and the thing that sticks with me powerfully is the concept that uh, counseling as is typically done is a strengthening of the flesh and it just struck me uh, you know uh, Stoney talked about being struck by a truth uh, uh, the, the, the truth of our identity with Christ and and so on, uh, and that was a, a, a truth that had immediate application for me. I, I, it just—it was a way of describing what we've been doing, and uh, so and that and many other things. And Chuck and I then became acquainted, and also heard other students talking about uh, transformations that they had seen, whether in this country or elsewhere, uh, in in people's lives that went way beyond anything that professionals were producing. So. Uh, and it's one of the points I guess I would make is we're not saying that we are the only and the best and so forth. Uh, I'm here because this is the best that I've seen in terms of putting together uh, the, the, the full message uh, of the cross and, and the effects that it has. But I think out of humility we have to appreciate the body of Christ. God is working in a variety of ways and, uh, and not just uh, that they aren't seeing transformation. Some of them are as well. Uh, and and God used that to, to teach me that what the passion that I had back there as an undergrad, when I thought about psychology as a field, 30, 35 years later is being revived, but now based upon knowing that the one thing is not the answer, but that when God is uh, involved in what we do, in the ways we're, we've been talking about, that uh, uh, we can see and participate uh, in, in His powerful working. All that as an uh, introduction to, to these typologies. Uh, this is a short course in uh, the various ways that Christians are working, just to say it in, in other terms. Um, let's see. 
Well, I won't put the first one up there. You've got it in your book, uh, and uh, and Chuck mentioned it uh, the other day. The uh, categories that he has used. I put these in in chronological order. I had to find some way of getting my name near the top of the list. Uh, uh, but early on, Chuck was talking about the uh, the various ways that uh, uh, people, not necessarily just Christians, but uh, were counseling and the one cluster there that the cross is decried and and then the uh, the next group the cross is denied the next group uh, the bibliotherapy uh, or the uh, uh, the counselors and and so forth uh, imply the cross uh, but uh, it's only uh, certain ones uh, like ourselves who are applying the cross and uh, that was that really covered the territory. I think it's a good a good summary. Uh, let's see. How do I leap to the next? Uh, I get to, uh, uh, no. Okay, I just. Uh, you may have that. I guess you do have that little continuum. Not quite ready for this. Uh, in '76, I published a little article, "Counseling Evangelical Families," where I tried to describe when an evangelical Christian goes in for counseling, they're going to run into one of three outlooks. It's a very simple continuum here: either the evangelical counselor who identifies with their their uh, beliefs and is going to support that, and in one form or another speak their language. Or the non-evangelical, in the not the middle, but uh, one step over, who doesn't identify with their orientation, may not even be a Christian, uh, may or may not be, but doesn't identify with them, but at least doesn't seek to do harm, uh, and and will respect their values. And then the anti-evangelical, of which there were many, and no doubt still are, who uh, uh, feel like faith is a crutch, uh, just as Freud said, and uh, that that opinion is still around for some who would actually undermine. And many, many a Christian has been hurt by stumbling into the wrong office. They didn't know the the value and belief system that they were going to encounter. They thought, well, the person's license isn't that all you need. So uh, that would be a, a, a damaging orientation. And and many of us have seen the uh, the uh, the victims of that kind of counseling having to do some repair work yeah does it go up well John is working on that um the uh, the next uh, uh, breakdown of, of the various ways that people approach, in this case, biblical counseling, comes from Larry Crabb. And Crabb is probably the most highly, well, Gary Collins, I did a survey a few years ago of leaders in Christian counseling field, uh, Dobson and, and Collins and Crabb and Chuck and, and uh, over a hundred others. Uh, and among the questions I asked them, I was basically asking what's ahead for the next millennium? What are the trends? Where do you see us going as Christians in this field? And uh, Gary Collins was the, the, the most highly respected. They felt like he's going to have an impact on 
uh, the future more than anybody else. He, he's always been a step ahead of our field. But Larry Crabb was second, and I think in the in the schools he is he's the one that most students identify with. And of course, he's always going through his journey. And uh, uh, John uh, alerted me to his latest development. Uh, uh, he's got a web page, newway.org, uh, where it looks like he may be uh, seeing the light uh, in, a, in a new way. And uh, the thing is, it's not new, but then uh, it doesn't matter how a person gets there as long as they get there. So it'll be interesting to follow that because a lot of people are listening to him, and it may be that if he'll get a reception uh, talking about uh, us uh, coming to uh, total dependence on the Lord, whereas others haven't been able to. But... He, uh, back there in 77, uh, had this uh, breakdown. He said there's, uh, there are some biblical counselors that uh, uh, believe that, uh, that counseling and psychology should be separate but equal discipline. They both have value, but if you need uh, help with mental health, you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a social worker or something. If you need spiritual help, you go to a clergy person or a Christian uh, and just keeping those two realms separate. Then there's the toss salad group, uh, as he called it. And he said this is most Christian counselors. He just kind of uh, throw the, the ingredients together, borrowing a little from uh, Scripture and, and uh, a little from psychology, mixing it and feeling like uh, that you can come up with a tasty blend that hopefully will be helpful. But he says that's dangerous because uh, uh, there's all sorts of of uh, ideas mixed in in psychology and new age and everything else and so you need to have some basis for being selective uh, as to what you borrow and uh, he also felt like this uh, uh, reduces uh, no uh, that this puts research at on the same plane as revelation and uh, felt like that's uh, certainly an error then the nothing buttery group uh, nothing but um uh, Nothing but grace, nothing but Christ, nothing but uh, the Word, nothing but faith. Uh, he felt like this group was too narrow. Uh, they, uh, they don't appreciate that there is such a thing as general revelation and that uh, non-Christians can uh, stumble across truths that uh, are also part of God's creation uh, and also that they reduce uh, the complex process of counseling down to a simplistic sort of formula like identify the sin, confront it, and change. Uh, now, I think uh, what we discover in this uh, approach to helping people is that there is something simple about it, in a sense, from the human standpoint. Uh, it doesn't take a, a degree or something to do it, but uh, I don't think we go to, to the level of making a little formula like this. So uh, he was critical to nothing butterists. And then... Uh, his uh, favorite at that time was, he called it spoiling the Egyptians. I call it marrying the Canaanites. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, God told the, the uh, Israelites to, uh, uh, to, to get silver, gold, clothing from uh, the Egyptians, and by his power they, they gave it. So they went out uh, well prepared for their journey. And he, uh, or, uh, Crab at that time, felt that uh, we, we need to take from. Uh, secular psychology, that which is uh, consistent with Scripture and it, it proves itself to be useful and so forth, but always uh, under the umbrella, under the test of is it uh, scripturally sound. Then uh, Carter and Naramore, John Carter and Bruce, this is Bruce Naramore, not Clyde Naramore, 
have a little book that you may have seen called The Integration of Psychology and Theology. And they come up with uh, four categories. It must be the, the, uh, the Christian way to find four categories. Uh, the, the psychology against religion group uh, is uh, like Albert Ellis. They, they come up with a secular and a, a, a Christian perspective on these, each of these four. Albert Ellis would be looking at from the psychology side saying the two don't fit together. Uh, religions about uh, uh, things that are beyond the natural world and he doesn't believe in the supernatural so uh, that's not something you want to spend your time with. Jay Adams, they cite as somebody who would be on the Christian side and say that psychology stuff is, you know, is worthless and worse than worthless so don't, don't mess with it. Many a person has pointed out that uh, Jay Adams then proceeds in his actual counseling to use psychological techniques and things without admitting where it came from. So uh, we have to watch it. We don't uh, claim to be so pure in our application of the spiritual that we, we ignore the fact that, sure, there's some things that, that God has given us, just as he gives to physicians, mechanics, and others, uh, some wisdom out of the natural revelation or general revelation of then the parallels model, that, that group uh, say that uh, psychology parallels religion or faith. Uh, they're like railroad tracks. They don't intersect. They're two different uh, streams of knowledge. Uh, they don't conflict. Uh, they're just uh, uh, different. And so don't try to integrate them. That would be like Crabbe's uh, separate but equal group, uh, a parallel with that. David Myers out at Hope College and uh, Jeeves, I forget his first name, uh, my mentor at Fuller, it turns out, was a parallels person. He, he didn't broadcast it, but uh, he's written in that book as well, mentioned as a parallelist. Then there's psychology of religion. Uh, the, those who think that uh, the value of religion is it's another field for psychology to study, to study about it. And uh, Carl Jung was into that, and liberal theologians uh, would be representatives of that orientation. And then the idea that psychology integrates religion that the two can uh, this is like crab spoiling the Egyptians so the, that's the way they slice the pie and these are this is like holographic images uh, you, you say well how many ways can you do this it's like you can walk around and if you ever have seen a hologram and it's it's the same stuff being talked about but it looks different from different angles it just depends how the individual uh, uh, describes it Sinyan Tan out at uh, Fuller, really a solid person, one of the leaders uh, of the integration movement in a, uh, an article, had a very simple model. He said there's, this is uh, in the area of practice, practicing integration. He says there's implicit integration and there's explicit integration. Some Christians counsel and their faith is implied in what they do. They might say, uh, I trust that the love of Christ is going to show through. I'm offering a cup of cold water but they don't uh, talk the language of faith. They probably don't uh, quote scripture and in most cases probably don't pray. Whereas the explicit integrators uh, say it out loud. They'll use scripture and pray and so forth. So it's a very basic breakdown of, of the ways that the Christian people go about this. And then uh, 
as if to imply that I really have had a lot to say about this field. Uh, I've developed a just, no, uh, maybe it's further along. I th- it is in your uh, in your book there. Let's see if I skip ahead. Maybe I'll come to it. don't have my copy, but the one that's uh, the continuum of attitudes toward integration. Uh, we could just look at that in your book. Uh, uh, okay. Great, thank you. I need to clarify the language here. There's... Uh, something I didn't catch before, but this continuum goes from those who don't integrate psychology and faith but stress psychology to the other end, those who don't integrate and stress faith instead of psychology, and then in the middle are those who integrate. And just very quickly, as you can read, uh, but I, I will need to clarify something here. Those who come from a psychological standpoint, and this was most Christians before us, baby boomers, went into this field uh, were over here uh, felt like they were separate categories of knowledge you don't bring your faith into the counseling process that's not why people come in for counseling so don't misuse it uh, and they were all based they were all trained rather in uh, state universities so they certainly weren't going to get have faith mentioned uh, it was based on a view of professional ethics that it actually was ethically wrong to talk about faith in counseling sessions. You were proselytizing, you were abusing the client if you brought that in. That's, that's the view of that group. And boy, they were they learned that rule if they learned nothing else. You keep it to yourself. That's private. It doesn't belong in the session. Uh, this is before the integration programs got started. Then that point three, the language should read, you might have to cross out a couple words. They were trained secularly, as I just said, and they don't consider integrating. So mark out the word meaningful and change. Uh, I think that's on your copy. Uh, yeah, that's there too. Meaningful and change. Mark it out so it reads, train secularly, don't consider integrating. And I put naive. They were naive about integration, so uh, they uh, didn't incorporate it. Wasn't, it almost didn't cross their mind. And then that uh, beliefs are private and personal matter. Over on this side, this extreme, uh, those who don't integrate but stress faith feel that psychology contaminates dilutes or deceives so why bring it into the picture it just weakens what you're doing the Bible has all the answers third that there's real power uh, no there's real okay these words were somehow pulled from the other side there's real meaningful power insert the word meaningful before power and change comes through the active involvement of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit so uh, they would appreciate the Scripture, uh, the work of Christ, and the Holy Spirit to bring power uh, uh, into the counseling experience. And then uh, mostly that group were trained only theologically. So they're naive about the psychological side. Coming in from this side back to uh, the psychological direction, there are those who emphasize psychology, professionalism, and such, but they're open to supporting Christian experience, church involvement, etc., when it comes up and I call that passive integration if, if the client brings it up they'll flow with that uh, 
and from the other side working in towards the center, those who emphasize faith but also acknowledge the potential value and use of psychological techniques and understandings when it seems appropriate. Uh, but again, they don't anticipate it. They just have that in their arsenal uh, if it seems like it would be wise. Then the center, the uh, integrated group, as long as it's a continuum about integration, they don't see a conflict between general and special revelation. <laughs> All truth, uh, change trust to truth. Is God's um, all truth is God's truth, and there should be a semicolon there. Uh, they incorporate actively incorporate and emphasize the centrality of faith, but they also value the findings of psychological research, theory, etc. I think, in the interest of time, because there's a couple things I do want to be sure and get in. Uh, uh, the, there's a couple more matrices, I, I would call them. Uh, not sure what the official term is there. One that Everett Worthington at uh, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, really a solid Christian fellow, uh, but uh, pretty committed to the integration model. He talks about uh, uh, implicit and, uh, no, that's the, talks about the non religious and religious counselor and whether they address spiritual issues or not. And then uh, Anderson, Zolke, and Zolke, uh, which is a very popular text now. Uh, this is Neil Anderson. Uh, he and these, at least one of the Zolkes are a psychologist, and they've gotten together on this book that came out just last year, Christ-Centered Therapy. A friend I respect said he thinks this is the best book on Christian, integrative Christian counseling in the past century. Uh, so if you're into that, uh, it's worth taking a look at just to know what's out there. They try to pull a lot of things together. Uh, there is an error on that one. Uh, let's see. Uh, the integrated and implicitly disclosing individual is a closet. That should be closet. So it reads... Uh, only psychological and implied disclosure is a closed person, therapist, integrated, and implicit disclosure is a closet. They keep it to themselves. Uh, those who are openly uh, disclosing of their faith and integrate it, he calls those the conjoint uh, counselors. And then there's the Bible-only counselors who only focus on the spiritual and on explicit disclosure of faith. I could talk to you uh, privately about the Worthington one, but uh, uh, we would add here, as you look at these various models, and these are not the only ones, our field just seems to enjoy uh, developing models, uh, that, uh, as Chuck says, the use of what psychology has discovered in terms of techniques and the practical applications and understandings of human uh, behavior and so forth, not necessarily the nature of, of, of human beings, but can be useful after a person has come to uh, a full understanding and experience of the cross. Uh, then they're, they're armed and, and uh, so forth. But if, if they are brought to uh, these psychological approaches before they understand who they are in Christ and have uh, experienced his death, there and resurrection, realize the reality of that, uh, it's, uh, it's dangerous. So uh, we don't want to be strengthening the flesh or uh, substituting some idol in, in, uh, in the place of uh, the work of Christ. 
Christianity Today did a piece in uh, September of 96 where they have a tree and they have these different roots and shoots of Christian psychology. You're welcome to look at it if you want. I don't think it's very well done. Uh, I, I don't see the, the method in their madness there. But uh, I did a survey, as I mentioned before, of leaders in the field uh, uh, three, four, probably at least four years ago. What's ahead? And these were some things that they said. These were Christian uh, counselors of various sorts. They differed on most things, uh, which shows what happened when human wisdom is applied to the future. But some things they agreed on. And I think this should inform us who work in the church or with the church or with Christians. One, uh, they agreed that the integration movement, that started back there in 65, hasn't lived up to expectations. And these are people who were professors in it or trained in it. This wasn't just the enemy taking pot shots. That it didn't live up to what we had hoped it would. And I think it's because we left God out of it. We proceeded uh, thinking we could uh, just baptize it in some scripture here and there and some prayer. Secondly, they agreed that more women uh, are going to enter the field. It's already happening. In most training programs, huge majority are women. Uh, when I was at Fuller, there was not a single woman in my class or any class preceding us. By the time I graduated, uh, over 50% of the class was female. And, and at Liberty and each of the other programs, that's what's happening in psychology and counseling. Uh, uh, not sure of all the reasons for that, except that uh, uh, it's one more field that has opened up to women. I think often the men flee when women come in. or I, I just don't know why that is. It's, it's uh, a positive thing, but we do need men who, who remain in, in counseling too, because especially in the church, we've got a problem. If, if uh, you know, For some churches, for sure, if a man is to go to a woman for counseling. Uh, and, and I don't re- remember how the group responded to this but I'm confident that you're going to see a movement in the church it's already happening and maybe in the outside world the non-Christian counselors where you have more same-sex counseling women counseling women men counseling men I think there's wisdom in that we've just had so many problems pastors and counselors who uh, have had ethical violations moral violations because of cross-sex counseling and uh, I think biblically it's sound that uh, you know the older women uh, teach the younger and so forth. So I think it's a good movement that's taking place. We ought to see better, at least ethical, you know, on that level, better ethical conduct uh, when we're aligned that way. And it's not, it's, it's another one of the Pauline-like statement about, now this is me speaking, not, not the Lord, but uh, if, in fact, the question was brought up uh, the other day, and I'll talk about it more when I talk about ethics tomorrow, but... Uh, where it's necessary to, to do cross-sex counseling, men with women or vice versa, I think we do have to build in uh, protection, safeguards, uh, whether you leave the door open a crack, whether you, you have a window in your door, whether you make sure that the, uh, someone of the opposite sex is also in the office, the secretary or receptionist or something, so that there are, you know, these things happen in the dark. Uh, but it, I, I thought to myself, you would never have, and I think particularly the sexual violations, which is one of the top uh, top two that occur, you would never have a sexual violation, at least not in the counseling office, if A, you had co-therapists, you know, two people, whether they be uh, male and male or female, female or male and female, or if you, all, if you had one-way mirrors and somebody always 
observing from behind the one-way mirror uh, as a student or as a coach or whatever it might, or supervisor. Uh, but uh, it's when, when the doors get closed and uh, uh, you have a late appointment or a special appointment on Saturday, talk more about that in the ethics area. We, we mustn't be naive in this area. There are ways we set ourselves up uh, for the flesh to, to take over. And uh, I, we, uh, we can do some practical things to make that less likely in addition to the spiritual armoring that we must do. Uh, these uh, folks in this survey uh, expected more and more of the counseling to return to the church. And we took it away there in the early 70s. They handed it to us. Uh, but uh, with managed care and uh, uh, with, with so many counselors being turned out and, and no evidence, zero, nada, that non-professionals, lay counselors, are any less effective than highly trained, licensed, and, and long-experienced professional counselors. I mean, that ought to be a mind-bender. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, it ought to be an encouragement. Uh, God does use us all. And uh, don't be intimidated or overly impressed by those who have the degrees and everything. Uh, so, given these circumstances, uh, I, I really do believe the church is going to once again reclaim its territory, uh, a phrase that others have used, but uh, to, to be the, the, uh, the burden-bearers. Uh, call them what you will. Counselors, disciples, burden-bearers. Uh, the church is going to move in that direction again is moving there there's going to be greater use of lay counselors they said uh, there's uh, continued movement towards brief therapy you know in the, in the field in general that's happened because managed care says you've got six sessions to accomplish this hasn't been some sort of uh, altruistic decision about I can't take all your money for you know ten years or something uh, but uh, I think that uh, we're certainly working in the right direction there. Not to value grief just for its own sake. Some people need that long road, uh, that, you know, the, the struggle through the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the wilderness of their issues. Uh, but uh, uh, I think we're a step ahead of the, the professional field because this approach says it doesn't take that long for God to do his fundamental work in a person's life. And then the cleanup campaign can go much more smoothly uh, dealing with uh, whatever patterns had developed in their lives. And one other thing that there was a fair amount of agreement on is that they advocated that, that uh, counselors get more theology or Bible training uh, because most of them, they were of the generation that just got psychology training and so they had realized that that had biased them in that direction. So those are just some things to be aware of and, and to, uh, I think on many counts, we're we're already uh, moving in the same direction. Um, okay, here's a piece I don't have on PowerPoint. Something I've put together as I've looked at um, at what I call transformational therapies. Christian counselors not just um, exchange life counseling or spiritual therapy, but Christian counselors who are making uh, God central, allowing Him to be central, and leaning on Him. What I've come up with is what I call the seven marks of a profoundly and uniquely Christian approach to soul care. No, this is... Uh, I didn't want it to look like I was inspired, so I <laughs> write what you uh, feel. Uh, 
and this is a work in progress. Uh, it, it will probably shrink and grow as, I, as the Lord teaches me about this. But by this, I don't mean, aren't I profound and aren't I unique in my perspective? What I'm saying is, if counseling is going to, or soul care, is going to be at the deepest levels and, and uh, have, have a dramatic impact on people, that's the profound part. The unique aspect is, I don't think a non-Christian would do any of these seven things. So it's unique in that sense. I'm not complimenting myself or not intending to. And I'll just go quickly here. One, the counselor has a relationship of vibrant personal intimacy with Christ, familiarity with His truth, and sensitivity to His Spirit. So you have... uh, This could be said in other ways, but I present this to a variety of different audiences. So, talking here about our identity with Christ, familiarity with His truth, there's His Word, and sensitivity to His Spirit, there's the involvement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So, it starts with the the counselor needing to be uh, in the right place uh, for to be a clear channel for the Lord to use. Given that, therefore, I suggest he or she, the counselor, will step out in faith beyond where his or her eyes can see. This doesn't describe typical therapy. Here's where we move ahead without knowing exactly how God is going to work in this situation. Moving ahead in faith, trusting that he's in the process and... uh, not just using a psychological technique uh, to create a, a, a simple desired outcome. Comma. Doing this, stepping out in faith, while leaning heavily on the Lord. You know, not just not just like this, where if, if the wall caves in, I'm still standing, but really depending on him. If, if he doesn't... <laughs> it should bring that kind of response to us, I think. Really leaning on him, waiting patiently, and listening for his spirit to lead. Now, there are all sorts of styles of counseling, so I'm not saying this is the ideal, but there need to be some pauses to hear that still small voice speaking to us from time to time. Maybe pauses for prayer. Uh, pauses to let uh, God's Spirit uh, touch something in the person we're counseling. It's not all about us as counselors. Uh, and this is so rare. We get caught up in thinking it's, it's the number of words and the, the number of pearls of wisdom that flow from my tongue that uh, count. And uh, that's not where it's at. So lean heavily on the Lord, waiting patiently and listening for His Spirit to lead. That doesn't describe typical therapy. Christian therapy, even. Fourth, these are just, again, my observations. The most important changes that take place will be primarily spiritual in nature, in the heart, we could say in the soul, not simply in the external. And I want to show you a a quick clip of that in just a moment. So whereas most counseling, most Christian counseling included, aims towards the external, if we count symptoms, uh, as externals, that be it depression or anxiety or fear, or my relationship with my spouse or my loss of my job and so forth, all those externals, that, that this kind of counseling goes 
uh, to the heart and uh, uh, to, to the spiritual plane. It sounds commonsensical to this group, but uh, it's not necessarily so to the field. And such change is deep, far-reaching, lasting, and often rapid, even at times instantaneous. This is the profound part. And you, many of you have seen this happen. Uh, it's not superficial change. It, it goes to the depths, spreads through uh, all aspects of the person, whether it shows up immediately or not. It, it lasts. Because some people are going to hear about this and they're going to say, uh, well, a person could go in and have kind of a high, like going off to a retreat or seminar or something, come back and, and, and the, the effects disappear shortly. Often rapid, not always, it's, that point's been made before by others, and I appreciate that, even at times instantaneous. Some parts, as Tony said, uh, there can be that uh, instantaneous realization of how God sees things and uh, who we are in Him. Uh, but I think it's an important caution that we add that sometimes there, there's a the longer process, and that's as much the Lord's work as the instantaneous work. Four. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Sixth, this change that occurs will hold despite circumstances. I like this one. It's not like, well, I made these changes and and my life got better, as as Tony says, not the happy spirit. Uh, because that person's vulnerable. Then when when the downer comes, uh. Their, their feelings shift and so forth but the, this is a person who uh, uh, can be content in all circumstances uh, even in the face uh, you know though he slay me yet will I trust him I mean that's the ultimate kind of statement and finally God gets all the glory we have no doubt that the outcome was impossible apart from him and it's so rare that Christian counselors in general operate in that area uh, that uh, usually we're able to say in fact we were trained to be able to if someone asks you now what did you do and, or why did you use that technique that we could say why the change happened it's something we did uh, you know a person came in with a phobia and we used desensitization and relaxation and that's why they, lo- they got rid of their phobia uh, but in, in, in these cases where it, it only can occur by faith uh, we have no question that it was it was a God thing, and uh, He gets the glory, and that's just uh, so rare uh, in our field. That's where I like people who don't have massive degrees and so forth seeing these powerful things happen. Uh, I think it comes easier uh, to affirm that uh, God did it. Okay, could we show those two clips? Uh, they are quite brief. Here's a, this is a, a, a picture of transformation. This is, this is not dramatic. It's, it's, it's subtle, but I believe it's real. This comes from uh, the same fellow that uh, you saw uh, counseling, uh, forget what, what name your son took on, uh, Kurt. Uh, Lee Lefebvre, uh, exchange life counselor out at Denver. This comes from an actual client, and all I want to do is show you the beginning so that you see at the first session 
uh, the state she was in. Her marriage was, uh, she thought, near divorce. Her kids uh, were not re- relating to her effectively or vice versa. And I just want you to get the flavor. She, she cried in every session. This went on for uh, a total of nine sessions. Uh, she, she was in tears in each session. Our school who uh, recommended this uh, ministry. And so, uh, you know, I tried back several months ago to try to come and we ended up not being able to. So I'm just coming now because things are really um, challenging. And uh, I need to try to find a way to uh, do whatever I need to do differently because I, I need to be able to parent my kids more effectively and I think probably by myself. I see. You were aware that you came to a biblical counseling center that we do use a biblical method of counseling. And that's good. Okay. At some point, I will talk to you about what we'll need to do in terms of our procedure. But first, why don't we just bow and pray. Okay. Father, thank you for the wonderful way in which you lead people to come before you for the help they need. Thank you, Lord, for this teacher who directed Marie here. And we ask you, Father, that you prepare her for what she needs to go through in the way of her counseling. And we ask that in every way that you would be attentive to her need and her cry, her plea for help. We ask you, Father, to give me the sensitivity I need to hear what she's really saying and make us both very sensitive to the directions that you want her to go. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, okay so you see already the Spirit is, uh, is sensitizing her and um, she's had more than one abortion and, and she's a high achiever but uh, has experienced some, some really difficult times now and uh, this has been the ninth session as they focused on this material we've been talking about. Let's hear her report. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Yeah. What's the Lord been doing in your life? Just really uh, nice things. Uh, I just see the dynamics changing. I, I see. I guess I see it all around me that the dynamics are changing all around me. But I guess if it, it's happening all around me, it has to do with something that he's doing inside of me. But I see so such different relationships um, in in the school where I volunteer, uh, in the kids' schools. Uh, I'm so much less caught up with whether or not I'm acceptable to the other parents. Uh, you know, I know that I'm there to be a servant and, and help in different things. And it used to really concern me as to whether or not I fit in. And I don't feel the need. I mean, I feel at peace. I, I can hear our pastor talking about these things and people not living the abundant life and not walking in victory. Uh, and I don't know if he's suddenly become enlightened. <laughs> kind of... <laughs> I don't know what it seems, but I have a feeling maybe I just didn't hear it before. Um, so I see a huge change uh, at church. And, in fact, a, a woman came up to me, and, and uh, after I had shared one Sunday and talked about uh, she said, 
I would have never, because it was talking about how the Lord provides. And it's just like, you know, I have to tell them all these things. And so I did. And this woman came up and she said, I would have never guessed that you had anything going on that was negative in your life. Because you come to church now so full of joy and so peaceful. And I thought, wait a minute. There's that peaceful word. And they're talking about Maria again. And those two never used to be in the same sentence. So that's real exciting. And the difference, I, I just see such a tremendous difference um, quite often with Dwayne and I. Um, I still have struggles, and the circumstances are not at all different. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to, I don't seem to be weighed down. Well, if I think about it, I, I'm not anymore. I'm not sitting underneath all of the muck and, and the stark despair. I'm sitting up above. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. And when I sit there and remember that that's where my place is, I don't feel the weight of our circumstances. Okay. Somebody putting into words, it's not just that she was smiling instead of crying. It's it's her countenance shows the weight is off. And I just love it when she says the circumstances aren't that much different. But that's not what she's weighing things or gauging things by. I just... Uh, it's it's great to see and in, and interestingly when she first came in he he actually took a couple sessions which Chuck would frown on but, uh, to get the story out but then he set that aside and they talked about the very things we've been looking at together uh, for the next uh, uh, two six sessions hardly he he would ask at the beginning how has this week been short answer and then on with uh, who she is in Christ and so forth and. Uh, and then they get back to it. He, he checks in. These things have changed, not because he gave any advice at all about what she should do about this situation or how she could handle this differently. No, none of those kind of typical psychological techniques. So it's just a testimony to the things that many of you have experienced in your counseling and that uh, John and, and Chuck and Sony have been talking about. So I'm running way over, but uh, I did want to give that kind of visual example uh, for those of us who haven't uh, seen it, but uh, it's just uh, one person. Uh, but, uh, this is repeated over and over by those who have worked with these issues. And, and hers was not an easy case, uh, so it's not like we picked a, a simple one. But Okay, any quick questions? I don't want to take up all the time. Yes. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Uh, Hezekiah. No, no. I was... It's, that's what I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have uh, should have clarified. No, I, I was. Um, I don't know what I was doing. I, I apologize. <laughs> it's just uh, uh, it's a way it's come to me over the years that, that uh, God uses a whole buffalo, uses everything, and, and uh, as uh, all things work together for good, it's a little more uh, biblically sound.